0: That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part.
1: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson.
0: I'm Brian Siegler.
1: How you doing tonight, buddy? Thursday night, technically a Friday for me. I am off tomorrow. Hey! Hey! Watching your Bravos play, watching some fun belt football, which just went 35-35. They have killed the over officially. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that sounds like a good game though. I'm I'm loving that we just uh we just ran Kershaw off the mound. So yes, you did. Back to back gappers. Yes, sir. Y'all are y'all are
1: loose, man. Y'all y'all are the loosest of the four teams left. Y'all are having fun in the dugout. I mean, I'm sure you're loaded with some beers. It's the sixth, so you got a couple more <laughs> innings. As, if Brian has any outbursts while we're recording in these last you know, basically four innings. We will not edit them out. (laughs) Y'all will hear it live. I I will keep it to a minimum or at least try to. You, you do you man. Somebody takes one out the park. I want to hear a celebratory yell. All right. Well, folks, obviously every week, you know, we do know the enemy. We're going to hit that in a second, but earlier this week, um, pretty big announcement came down. Um, and it's one of those things that really, in my opinion, is a game changer for um, NCAA, um, the NCAA in general. I'm going to read the Brett McMurphy tweet. Um, the NCAA council approves proposal to allow one-time transfers in all sports without sitting out a season. It will vote on it in January for final approval. And sources are told, Stadium, who is what McMurphy works for, If approved, this would become effective August 1st of 2021. Brian, give me your first initial thoughts on how this affects the Hokies.
0: I mean, it can be nothing but good things for us. We've seen how we've dealt with both the transfer portal, uh, coupled with some of the problems we've had getting that immediate eligibility for some of the bigger name guys we've got that came in, whether it's Brock or Burmeister that didn't get approved or Raheem Blackshear that got approved upon appeal. We won't have to deal with that anymore. And we're showing that when we bring guys in from the transfer portal, they're getting on the field, they're producing. We're able to show that, hey, when you come here, you're coming here to play and play big time. Um, Looking at what Justice Reed has done, looking at what Khalil Herbert's done um, just in this young season already. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a good thing for us, especially as we're trying to kind of clean up a, good but not as good as we wanted 2021 class
1: absolutely i'm with you i think it does i think it benefits not only us i think it benefits everyone that's not a blue blood because um you know to your point now you're evaluating the talent we're doing a good job of that at the collegiate level but something that Someone we follow on Twitter uh, follows the uh, show, tweeted out, and I love this. This is Hokie pharmacist out there. More like this protects the kids that are often misled in high school. They deserve a second chance, and if we are, if they are not a good fit, but can excel elsewhere. And I think that sums it up, because, and that's why I mentioned this is going to unbenefit the blue blood. The blue bloods who are selling essentially their prestige. We're a top five university. Kid gets there and um, they're not a fit, and they're like, this is not what we've talked about before, Brian. this is not yeah. what I was sold. Yeah. I, I don't want to be here. Like, I'm, I'm basically, like, they recruited me to steal me away from someone else. Well, now you don't have to worry. I, I can transfer right away. Like, I can get to where I probably truly should have been. So, you know, to me now, the recruiting once a guy signs the yellow eye, it still doesn't stop. Because if you were one of those final couple for a kid, I'm not saying you got to go crazy, but I think it's one of those things where it's going to be check on them every. Hey, how's it going? How's life? How's school treating you? You know, because it, it the game grows bigger, and if you yep. have one of those, you know, four, four, 5 star kids who essentially chooses the prestige over probably a fit. Maybe you don't lose them one
0: year. You definitely don't, uh, you're not going to unfriend or unfollow a guy on you know, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter just because they commit to another school now. You're definitely going to continue following what they're doing, how they're doing, and see if, you know, another connections kind of sparks up as things change for them and see how they uh, they're doing there. Because as you said, you know, a lot of these kids are sold on, you know, come here, you know, play for you know school that's won three or four national titles, this, that, and the other. But at some point, it just, it, it's not the other promises that were made, whether it's playing time or, you know, where they would be on the depth chart or ha- if they would be traveling, you know, whatever it may be, man. It's just not, it's not happening for them. Yep. Now they've got an option and they don't have to worry about wasting a year um, sitting out in order to kind of realize those uh, opportunities. Exactly.
1: And now the way – I think it's going to change just your basic recruiting very, very in some way because now to the point what you just said, now you've got to be really careful because if you're banking on this kid playing three years from now, and you're selling him all the all the stuff you talked about, and he walks in and says, I'm not getting what you promised, there's no more holding them. Yeah. There's no more holding, kid.
0: You've got to sell the work now. You've got to sell you the get, work. You've got you to sell winning. I mean, you can sell winning. Winning always sells, but you've got to sell the work as part of that winning. You can't just sell, oh, well, you know, we'll get you out there, and then it just doesn't happen. Exactly. Then, you know, the kid's the one that's paying for that.
1: Exactly. And it's, and it's truly fair to, in general, anyone can do a one time. Anyone can transfer from school to school. If you've got the grades, you know, Brian, you know, we had our buddy, we had our buddy, Brian Wilkerson at Longwood for a year, had the grades moved to tech. Did Longwood stop him from transferring to tech? No, no, it's your decision. I'm going to say something, give Brian all the credit in the world He's over here holding his tongue, his brain, and <laughs> ripping the ball. Like, through his soliloquy just a second ago, his eyes were super huge. Like, he just wanted to stop. <laughs> you don't know, professional at no point. Another base hit. the game is blown open. Six to yep, one.
0: Yep. Every ball is finding a gap right now.
1: And then they're, hit, they're, they're, they're being hit hard. It's not little bloopers or liners. Y'all are smashing the snot sh- sh- out of the ball right now. All right, well, now that it's six one he might be able to focus without having an outburst in the
0: next exactly game. yeah, i got a got a little cushion here exactly. got a little cushion. hopefully we won't have a an eleven run inning like we had in game three.
1: oh gosh, Brian, I can only imagine your face yesterday probably getting ready to um, eat a little dinner watch the game. well
0: not watching this game tonight. I did nothing jeezy, what the hell happened there? sat down. It was It was a two run game. I was like, all right, two runs, two outs. not the best start but we got a two- one advantage. Let's see how this goes walk away, make a little uh, little drink for myself, come back. It's like seven, nothing. I'm like, wait, it was two when <laughs> <laughs> I walk literally out <laughs> for five minutes.
1: <laughs> Holy crap. Yep. All right, guys, and Arkansas State's about to score again, too. All right, well, let's move to it. Know the enemy, Boston College Eagles led by Jeff Halfley. Heard Halfley's interview this afternoon on 910. 10 uh, Sounds like a pretty thoughtful, pretty intelligent guy. Um, so we're going to break down, as we always do, both sides of the ball, um, give you some stats, some data. Brian's going to give you a little tape breakdown of what he sees. So let's start on the offensive side of the ball, Brian. Um, this offense clearly led by Phil Jerkovich, the quarterback, the Notre Dame transfer. So far this season, 1,181 yards, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, a passer rating of 145.3. He's completing about 65% of his passes. Um, and you know, solid ranks with all those, you know, passer rating ranks 29th. So right on that upper third, 19th in completion percentage. So clearly in the upper third. And then passing yards per game, you know, he's 12th in the nation. Um, He completes about 25 passes per game. That's a pretty high number in my opinion. Um, Passes per completion at 11.93, which ranks 45th. Now, he's actually a little bit better in the yards per attempt, which is 7.7. That gets him up to 34, so he's on the top end of that, which kind of – hopefully when you get to reviewing here, it kind of tells me they're probably continuously pushing the ball downfield. Now, we look at his numbers. I think me and you probably both are on the page. They're solid numbers. Nothing spectacular, nothing awful. Um, But something I do, I've done it for every single offense we've looked at. I always look at the sack totals, um, and they're not good. BC has given up 16 total sacks in four games. That's an average of four game. There are only two teams that are worse in the country. One is Syracuse hey. and one is Duke. What do we do to Duke, Brian? <laughs> we, we put some pressure on those boys a little bit. Absolutely. So Brian, when you looked at some of the tape, what did you see not only from Phil, but his offensive line and the weapons he has? Uh,
0: so the big thing, uh, Jakovic reminds me a little bit of a uh, kind of a young Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I know Fuente said it, um, and when I looked at the tape, he was pretty much spot on. Um, kind of a big body guy, awkward but athletic. He kind of kind of looks like a almost like a Gronk type guy back in the in the backfield throwing the ball around. So it kind of it looks awkward, but it's effective. Um, he's got a little bit of a wiggle for a big dude, but you know, he, he really likes to identify the man coverage and kind of throw it that way and let the receiver make a play. He does that a lot, especially to Zay Flowers and Hunter Long. Those are his big two targets that he likes to hit in the passing game. Hunter Long on a lot of those kind of short crossers, sometimes up the seam, uh, he really likes to hit Zay Flowers up the seam or on a skinny post. So he's, he's pushing the ball down the field to, to Flowers when he's um, targeting him in the passing game. Hunter Long is going to be the bigger problem though, just because he's a handful in coverage, and if we don't tackle him, he can make us um, make us pay pretty bad as well. Oh, don't Um,
1: man! Not after last (laughs) week.
0: (laughs) After last week, I got to say it, man. um, We're going to have to tackle this guy. As far as uh, Tarkovik is concerned, though, I mean, he, he uses his legs to avoid the rush. He doesn't really use them to move the sticks too often. Like he'll take off if there's nothing downfield, or if like rush gets to him early and he just has to bail on it. But he's more of a guy that's gonna move around in the pocket to to throw downfield, and he's very much like Ben Roethlisberger. Well, he'll he'll take a sack before he will throw it away. Okay. And that and that tells me a little bit about kind of those sack numbers that you were you were alluding to there. He's gonna try to stand in the pocket as long as he can to try to get a guy open and make a throw. Um, So that does give us some some chances to potentially, you know, get a sack fumble, maybe get uh, an interception. But they've done a pretty good job of limiting turnovers so far. He hasn't thrown, I think, but what, two or three interceptions so far, two? Yeah, two interceptions so far this year. And had one strip fumble on a sack, just literally got the ball ripped out of his hands against Pitt. Um, But otherwise, has been pretty good protecting the football. Let's talk about their offensive line a little bit. Um, Got to. They are okay, especially – I'd say they're above average in pass pro, but they're dealing with a lot of five- and seven-step drops. They drop back a lot. They actually run a lot of ace formation. It's, it's a very pro-style offense, so you see a lot of shotgun and a lot of ace formation. Um, they don't do a whole lot of um, spreading the field. Actually – Um, I I would go counter that. They actually have a lot of tight formations, some bunch looks and things like that. A lot of 12 personnel with a tight end and an H-back. And they run a lot of play action off those inside zone looks from the ace and also from the uh, inside zone from the shotgun. So you'll see a lot of play action, five-step drops, seven-step drops where they're trying to drive the ball down the field.
1: And again, when they do that, yeah, go ahead. Does it shock you what they're doing when you take a look at Frank Signetti is their offensive coordinator? Is it any like shock? Is it like he's going away from what he knows, or he's trying to implement what he's done throughout
0: his career? He's trying to implement what he's done. He's he's doing definitely a lot more um, pro style things like when he was uh, quarterbacks coach in the NFL. So you're seeing a lot of those those elements get brought into uh, what he's doing on offense at Boston College. They're not doing a whole lot of Lateral stretch you out and then find find those seams. They're they're doing a lot more line up, running down your throat, kind of play action. Reminds me a little bit of uh, kind of that Bruce Arians offense that we saw when when Big Ben was uh, had Arians as a uh, coordinator in Pittsburgh. All right, all right. Yeah, so uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, the tight end and the running backs. Um, They use the running backs some in the passing game, but Usually it's going to go to the tight end. They like to go up the seam. I did see them send the running back up the seam a couple times as well. So be looking for the running backs to get involved in the passing game, but it's not going to be your traditional you know, screen and swing type game. It's going to be um, kind of route tree type items that you're going to see them running. And again, I mean, Zay Flowers is, is the dude uh, yeah. that can make the big plays that can hurt you with one play. So you got to make sure he does not get behind you. Um, had a big touchdown beating man coverage against Pitt. You know, got a step on the corner, got separation at the catch, and just ran away from him.
1: That was the 77 yarder, wasn't it? The yeah. Big at the top, yeah. I remember vaguely seeing that, and then looking through his stats this week, I saw that was his
0: long play. Um, yeah, he had a. Uh, he was lined up. I mean, they like I said, they they play real tight. So he was he was the uh, the Z, and just ran a skinny post and completely. You know, beat his man one-on-one, and Dracovic put the ball right on him.
1: So it sounds like Dracovic, good good deep ball, like we're not looking at a lack of arm here, I'm guessing. the way no, you de- definitely he is- can
0: make all the throws. I mean, he's not, uh, you know, Mahomes or Josh Allen or anything out there, but he can make all the throws you want from a quarterback.
1: Got it, man. Um, Kind of looking at who Brian discussed here, you know, I, I did dive into, you know, what their – team looks like, and, and you mentioned Hunter Long, and it, and it is eye-popping how this guy's, what he's doing this year. Hunter Long through four games has 31 receptions for 362 yards, averaging 11.7 a carry. <laughs> um, Only two touchdowns, but right now he is top 10 in the nation in receptions amongst all players, not just tight ends. He might be leading the nation in tight ends. I should go back and look that up. But when you just see a tight end in the top 10, you assume he's probably the best in the country. He's averaging about 90 a game. So as you've already mentioned, right integral part of this offense. And you kind of look around at some of the, uh, the draft sites. Um, he is being touted as a top five tight end in next year's draft. And, man, you look at his size, it is absolutely not a shock six foot five two hundred fifty three pounds he's a prototype yeah i I don't think there's any question about that now you mentioned your other guy zay flowers oh yeah he is their big play there is not even a doubt about it five eleven one seventy eight only twenty one receptions but for four hundred and five yards so he is averaging you know close to twenty yards a reception with four touchdowns a so long one there at pitt that really you know, kept that, kept that game, you know, there he's averaging over a hundred a game. Um, he is seventh in the country in reception in receiving yards, which is super impressive. Um, and the per game, um, you know, he is 15th. obviously, because there's some teams that's already played five. Um, and I mean, that's a hell of a one, two punch, right? You know, yeah. I, I don't think anybody would doubt that to see two guys like that, those numbers, what they're doing, their size, which you've mentioned where they're running their routes. Hell of a one 2 punch. But um, as much as those guys who, you know, have combined for 52 receptions, they're still getting other guys involved. I mean, you talked about the running back. The big one is Travis Levy. He's third on the team with 11 receptions for 74 yards. So, you know, you, you hear that. That's averaging right about seven a carry. Usually when you see a tight end or, excuse me, a running back with a lot of swing passes, a lot of checkdowns, usually that average is um, similar to the UNC running back last week, Michael Carter. It's usually between about four and six. When you say he's running the route tree in full, it makes sense that he's almost at seven to eight per carry. Um, Another wide receiver is Jalen Gill, 10 receptions for 78 yards. Again, they, they're definitely spreading all around outside their big two. And then kind of the last one me and you talked about when we were getting prepared was C.J. Lewis. Yep. Big-bodied, kind of their go-up-and-get-it guy, 6'3", 217, mm-hmm. um, you know, seven receptions. He's
0: the guy that Dracovic's uh, going to look for if if there's kind of nothing there and he, he sees him one-on-one, he'll throw it up and just let him go get it a little bit. That's the old Roethlisberger. Somebody's around his waist. Eh, you know what? Fling
1: it. He's big enough. Yeah. Let him try to go catch it. You know, so, you know, we sit here and Brian, you know, they have weapons. So as you started, you know, looking deeper at the tape, and obviously you got to see what things worked, what things didn't work. Um, what kind of scheme do you think
0: we should be looking at to slow down this passing attack? we definitely need to go with a lot of cover three and keep everything in front of us. We don't want Zay flowers to go out there and beat us on three plays. Um, so that, that's the first thing I'm taking away. The, the second thing I'm trying to take away is get as few targets away from Hunter long as I can. Um, <laughs> so what I would try to do with that is maybe even have, you know, responsibility where, you know, if it's a pass play, have a guy that's running man with him and kind of maybe zone it across the board everywhere else. Um, we saw that uh, UNC did that against BC in, on uh, on some downs and it ended up working a little bit for them. So that might be something that we could look at doing okay. ourselves. Is kind of having like a guy like uh, like Connor, um, you know, match up on him, you know, basically one on one. Or if they're sending him across the formation, maybe you know switch that around depending on. You know, whether you, you put like Tisdale on him if he's on one side of the formation or Connor if he's on the other. Okay. However you end up making it work, I would definitely keep a guy either, if, you, if you're not manning up on him, keeping a guy that's playing kind of a, a shell um, right around him. So he's not going to beat you, you know, nickel and dominant down the field. I got you. Um, l- Let me ask this.
1: You mentioned last week with UNC, one of the big plays we got beat by was that quarter of coverage. Do you do you see us bringing that back and just trying to whoever's playing that you know half the field? Listen, you've got to be disciplined.
0: Do you um, think? I would teams? I would say we would try to keep. Um, I don't I don't I wouldn't like half field responsibility against Dave Flowers. Okay. I prefer okay. if we if we were gonna do any sort of quarter quarter half, we would need to do we would need to make sure that Flowers was on the the the, the two quarter side. Um, so that there's two guys in those zones versus just the one covering half the field. So if if you guys
1: see that quarter coverage, No. Brian is probably throwing things at his television Saturday night. <laughs> like, why are we doing this? Um, there was one other question I had on this. Um, blitzing, do you think we can get there with four, or do you think we're going to have to send some blitzes?
0: I think we can get there with four, but I uh, I would like to send blitzes occasionally because he did occasionally struggle with the blitz. And, again, he is someone that's going to hold on the ball regardless of what we're bringing at him. So we might get some some coverage sacks or some, uh, you know, if we get immediate penetration, might might get him off his game a little bit. So I still want to see some blitzing um, just to keep that honest there. But um, I think we can still get pressure with four when we need to.
1: Got it. All right. Well, Brian, let's wrap up the pass section and let's get over to their run game. And, Brian, well, in my opinion, it's BC in the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad rushing offense. Yep. <laughs> I mean, they are literally the third rush rushing offense in the country. They are averaging 60.3 yards a game. They are the worst team in the country. Only 1.87 per carry. Their leading rusher is David Bailey with 155 yard. He he doesn't even double the 1.8. He's at 3.1 per carry. Um, you want to know who the, the leading uh rushing touchdown person is? Uh, that's gonna be their
0: quarterback on a couple of sneaks, I huh,
1: wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, he's leading them with three. Um, I would normally say like you know they're they're bad because they're. You know, clearly we've shown it. They're passing all the time. Well, when you kind of, when I kind of dug in and started breaking down, no, no, it's not that way. They're really only passing 55% of the time compared to 45% of the time running. So basically, they're keeping it somewhat balanced and playing just absolutely terrible. So, so Brian, when when you went back and looked at the tape, it, hopefully you found some tape of the running game. Yep. Why are they terrible, horrible, no good, and very bad at rushing
0: the ball? Uh, because they have linemen that aren't very good at run blocking. What I'm seeing is that I, I'm not sure if it's just they're not a great fit for this type of scheme yet or, or what it might be, but they are not oh. having a good job with kind of the pro-style inside zone that this team is running now. Um Now, when you look at the run game, it's a lot different than what we saw last week. Uh, We saw a lot of lateral runs or misdirection to set up the inside zone and the outside zone. There's very, very little of that. Uh, Mostly what we're looking at is downhill between the tackles inside zone with occasionally mixing things up, um, doing, doing a few different things here or there, but we're mostly getting a few plays and, uh, and they're running downhill in between the tackles, so this should be a little bit easier of a matchup for our linebackers this week, where they're pretty much reading downhill run or play action and having to get back into their zone. Um, so hopefully that they will handle things a little bit better this week. We will we, we will see. Um, but as I said earlier, they run a lot of a lot of ace formation, so they're running that that zone with a with an ace back and the quarterback under center. Um, which we again we don't see very much of anymore. I mean, most of the offenses we see, even ones that don't incorporate zone read or heavy misdirection, are still taking those snaps from the shotgun. So probably they're about kind of about 55-45, pretty much like their their balance there on the run and pass, whether they're in ace or whether they're in um, you know shotgun. So. You're going to see a lot of things that they run out of that. They, like I said, they mostly like inside zone. Sometimes they just zone it across the board. Sometimes they will take their H-back, and right after the snap, they'll run him across the formation to seal on the backside. Um, and that's really the only two variations of that play that they run. Um, and they weren't very effective with it. They had a couple where they got in a cutback lane right behind where the, uh, the H-back was sealing. And we're able to get like a you know eight or ten yard game, but they they're not getting large chunk plays like we saw UNC get both in other games that we watched on tape, and especially when they were playing us and got a bunch of chunk plays. Uh, they're it's a couple yards in a cloud of dust, a uh, couple yard loss if we get some penetration up the middle. I mean it's it's very pedestrian, and. Um, <laughs> Occasionally when they run out of that uh that shotgun, they'll do some inside zone there. Occasionally they'll get some jet motion and kinda of run of inverted veer and let Dracovic try to get a few yards. But that's kind of few and far between and I think they're almost running it just to keep the defense honest um and let them know that they do have a quarterback that can do it. Um but I don't I don't think that they're doing it with any sort of effectiveness.
1: Well, let me ask this Brian, and I mean you talked about it earlier, but just so people can understand because I think people look at BC during the Adazio years, you know, they had some really good running backs, really good running attacks, but the way you kind of explained it to me is Signetti's going to a pro style of run blocking versus, and, and, and as you were explaining, I kind of asked, so Brian is what, not Signet, but what Adazio, is he just essentially, is it a college power game versus your traditional pro and you kind of hit the, you kind of hit on the basics of that. Just real quick, explain what's the difference and why they aren't successful, even though it's essentially, you know, some of the same guys as last year.
0: So you, you saw a lot more like uh, pulls, traps, um, pin and pulls with with the Dazio system. Um, kind of letting the linemen do a little bit more in space and kind of confusing the front a little bit with some. Uh, read steps that look a little different than what they're actually giving you. Um, And with this being very pro style, they're not actually giving you a lot. I mean, what, what, what the linebackers are reading is what's coming at them. It's essentially is the line doing everything they need to do to get the hole open for the back to make a play. And they're just not doing that with any frequency right now.
1: Got it. Just a few other points of data before we turn over to the defense. Um, Overall, third-down conversion percentage at 44.8, which isn't a bad number, so okay there. Um, They also only had three turnovers in four games, um, which tells me they play very clean. It's been the two picks and then the strip sack fungal that you mentioned. Um, But this is an interesting stat. Brian, they've had 17 red zone possessions. They have converted 15 of those, which is, you know, 29th in the country. That's pretty good, right? What have I told you, Brian, of those 15, only eight are touchdowns? Not
0: great. No. Not great. Not great.
1: Everything you just mentioned and us throwing those numbers out there, I think when they get inside that red zone, that inability to run the ball, it shows. Because if you're able to run the ball a lot better than what they are, I think they should have, you know, basically. 10 to 5, 11 to 4. But when you can't run the ball, what you talked about, what we talked about earlier, it's easier for the back end to play. You don't yep. have 60 yards behind you.
0: You're not worried about Zay Flowers beating you for a 60-yard game. You've nope. got 15, 20 yards to cover. And that not only takes away Zay's big play, but it also has smaller windows for Hunter Long to work as well.
1: Absolutely. All right, well, let's flip over to the defense now, Brian. Let me give you some real quick stats right here before you uh, take a look. Um, Total defense ranks 29th, giving up 370 yards a game, about five yards per play. So, you know, right on the borderline of average for the teams that have played so far. Um, Rush defense slightly better than the pass defense. Rush defense giving up 135 a game at 3.67 a carry. The passing defense giving up 235 yards a game at 11 per completion. Um, Now, they do have a pretty good sack total number. They are in the top 20. They've sacked the quarterback 12 times, so that's an average of three a game. So, Brian, as you started looking at their scheme, at the personnel, anything jump out or the numbers
0: that say they're okay? They're not great, they're okay. I'll say this: I think in terms of front end and back end, they're probably the best defense we've seen at the, to this point. Okay, and that's more because of the way they do a good job of turning action from the edge back inside. Um, yeah, you know, they they run a similar defense to what we ran under Bud Foster less uh less blitzing less man but still kind of similar concepts um, it's more of the four two five that we saw in the kind of mid 2000s than what we've seen in the last decade where that uh that whip position is kind of more of a uh, more of a, a, a traditional linebacker just a little more athletic type guy um, it's almost like a double strong safety that that, that you got in there so so they're solid against the run. They do a good job, like I said, turning some of the lateral stuff back inside and letting those um, those backers kind of clean things up. Um, and, and by doing that, they do a good job of setting the edge. They struggle when you run right at them, though. If you're able to run at them between the tackles, they're susceptible to to busting off some big plays. We saw a couple uh, Pitt have a couple big plays late in the game uh, with some of that inside and outside zone action. So they are susceptible to that. Um, but they don't bite on like misdirection with the running backs in motion a lot um, stay at home pretty well. so they do a pretty decent job of limiting big plays. Usually when they get beat on big plays, you know it's because they were blocked well, not not necessarily because they were out of position or they made a mistake so um, but they do have a tendency to overplay the zone run um, so that's gonna give a, uh, a chance to. Uh, let our quarterback, you know, maybe maybe have a little keeper get in space and uh, make a big play on the edge there. All right, let,
1: let me ask you a question because something you said is they don't bite on a lot of misdirection with the running backs in motion and stuff like that. Now, is that because they're staying disciplined or is it more of don't worry about all the frills, what's in front of you, pay attention to what's in front of you, where I'm thinking if they're not biting in someone like Raheem Blackshear or Trey Turner gets one of those jet sweeps and they're staying at home.
0: I am assuming there's going to be a very big alley if they're staying at home. So they do a good job with their, their kind of guys that are playing outside there, whether it's the strong safety up in the box um, or it's the whip on the other side, they do a good job with them kind of getting penetration on the edge and spilling everything back inside. So they kind of don't pay attention to the motion too much because they're they're so good at using those guys to turn everything back in that they'll that they'll live with it if they end up you know getting one or two where they get outflanked.
1: Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. What about the pass game, Brian? How are they uh, defending that?
0: Uh, they like to bring a lot of pressure, man. Um, especially on obvious passing down, you know, third and long, um, second and long they run a lot of cover three. They keep, keep pretty much everything, all the business in front of them. You know, they'll occasionally let, let one deep one kind of creep in there, but they do a really good job of keeping most of the stuff in front of them. And we saw it when we watched the UNC tape. I know I was mostly watching that to, to kind of scout UNC. But when I, when I was looking at it, I was like, well, they're doing a good job of uh, kind of keeping all the, all the big plays in front of them. And, And that, that showed up on the film here for Pitt as well. When I was looking at it, they, they keep everything in front of them. They don't let one play kind of ruin their game. But because of that, when they kind of get in the red zone, they, they're not they're not great. Okay. For a team that doesn't give up a ton of points, when, when a team is able to get a drive going on them, they tend to get in the end zone. So hmm. um, I don't know if it's just... You know, they don't have that mentality of kind of flipping the switch once they're in the red zone to have to bow up or or what it is. But mostly what they're trying to do is keep everything in front of them and let the offense make some mistakes that end up either getting them off the field or giving them the ball back.
1: Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Brian, because I look here and one of the data points I got to pull out is um, red zone attempts 12. They've given up 75 percent of scores, so they've given up nine scores. They've given up eight touchdowns. (laughs) So what you just perfectly described is, is it, is it, you know, the bend don't break through, they not have the mental will, or is it just simply they're playing just such disciplined defense? It's, well, you know, this is, this is what we're supposed to do. We don't, I'm not supposed to bite on that. I'm supposed to trust my guy when there's less space behind you, there's a chance that if he just makes one mistake, it's seven yards and it's a touchdown or it's 15 yards and it's a touchdown not there's no more room to clean up it's in zone or bust where
0: yeah they they're not able to say okay well we're keeping it in front of well in front of it's still a touchdown at that point <laughs> you know what I'm saying so, uh, oh, so yeah. th- that's what ends up happening and also being a little little squishy in the middle there on uh on the run a lot of teams are running the football a little bit more between the tackles once they get in the red area so it's kind of a kind of a way that almost offsets some of the things that they do really well. The rest of the field almost ends up coming back to bite them a little bit that portion of the field. So, and they're not, you know, I looked at it too. They're not really that great with some of the the, the swing passes that get out to the wide receivers really fast. They their defensive backs were getting blocked uh, by the wide receivers a lot. So, if we can get the ball outside of those spill guys, um, you know, we can do a little damage in that game as well. So the, the guy who feasted against this defense
1: last year that came down from Rutgers could potentially feast again? Bingo. <laughs> yeah, Raheem, I saw that stat line, <laughs> eight for 130 last year, which is kind of nuts, and then you just say that, and it's just like, oh, I hope you
0: guys don't forget about him at all. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're focusing on Blackshear that also killed him when Kansas played them last year, and then, oh, look, Raheem Blackshear also killed this defense last year.
1: As did Juice I know Mo. it's a little
0: bit of a different system that they're running this year, but it's pretty much the same players. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to have some
1: shell shock, aren't they? Cool. Those guys were in the big 12 and the, wait a second, big 10. Wait a second. Son of a oh. bitch. Oh. Damn it. All right. Just a couple other things to wrap up on the defense, Brian. Um, You know, I looked at their turnover line, and, and it, you would, you'd you think this would be great. They forced eight turnovers in four games. But then, as me and you, as memory serves and as notes serves, they had five from Duke. So they've only had three in their other three games. So effectively, they're averaging one turnover a game. They've only turned the ball over three times. So in me, it's kind of like you take the Duke game out of the equation. They're almost a 50-50 split. I don't look at the turnover margin on that when you have such one big swing game. Um, Duke
0: is an outlier, especially what Duke has done against yeah. the other teams they played. Other, I mean, we're really the only team that they didn't go out there and just hand the ball away a few times. So, um, you know, definitely that five is an outlier. I mean, even if you make it a three, they're still below, you know, one and a half turnover a game. So,
1: exactly. good, not
0: great. You know, not, nothing to beat your chest about necessarily, but um, you know, they, they certainly can be opportunistic um, if you let them.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then third down conversion rate at a 44.3. Again, okay, not not terrible, not great. But when you start mentioning about they're keeping everything in front of them, and I, I look at the stat I, drew, I I pulled up of, they've given up 88 first downs in four games. It makes sense. It's kind of like that Duke stat. Duke was giving up roughly 23 first downs in the game. They're, they're, they don't want to give up the big play. Thus, you have to drive the field. And, you know, yeah. that's all—that's that, good and well. I, I think with what we have, I think we can do that. And as I say that, Brian, let's quick turn. Let's get to the pivotal players. Um, let's start on offense, Brian. Um, as soon as I said, Brian, number one on offense, you screamed? Captain Hook. and Hooker. Hendon Hooker,
0: ladies and gentlemen. and Hooker. Um, you know when I looked at this, what they do on defense, we're going to have to be effective in the short passing game because I don't think we're going to be able to take as many shots as we have um, taken so far this year. It's going to be definitely more, you know, 25 yards and under not, not the 20 big 20 plus yard gainers that we've seen in some of these games. Um, and hooker is going to have to be accurate and deliver balls on time and make the right reads. Um, so that's going to be really important. Um, he's, his legs are going to be important on some of those zone reads and, you know, the inverted veer and stuff like that. So, um, you know, look for him to to have some success with that as well, because, they ha- again, they have been sometimes successful on biting down really hard on the backside um, when they see, you know, inside, outside zones. So you know, Hooker might have some opportunities to get on the edge and make some plays there. So that's my big that's my first big one. Who, who, who do you like? Well, Brian, we, we I
1: think some, the guy we brought up second today when we were putting this was Brock. And I think the way you just mentioned what they like to do on defense and occasionally bring in pressure, and then the way that some of those zone runs, they lead gaps. The man in the middle, Brock Hoffman, obviously. We've already seen it through, you know, three games. Brock has good command of making the right calls, making the right reads. We haven't had too many plays blow up yet because he put, he's putting that whole line who all the guys are talented in the right positions. But yep. then you start mentioning about those zones and some of those back lanes. And we know he likes to be nasty. And I do believe that the way me and you discussed it, if they're having trouble getting there, it's probably going to be Brock putting us in the right spot, but probably Brock leading Brock leading the way
0: in creating the alleys. Am, am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, those kind of the, those inside combo blocks on the zones are going to be the key. Um, you know, with Brock making a lot of those pre-snap calls and Brock, you know, working with the guard on those handoffs. So that's going to be the key for me. Um, whether we can get you know, Herbert to the second level, let him do what he does best, which is make a make guys miss in space and, you know, take it to the house. So Brock's definitely gonna be big there. Um, you know, when we talked about the, the short passing game, I mean we talked about the swing, we talked about you know getting the ball outside and letting the letting the wide receivers block block a little bit, but it's gonna begin and end with Big Stone Gap. James yeah. Mitchell this week, man. Um, if he can have another big game like he had against UNC, working underneath, working up the seam, working some of those slants, um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel really good about this game because that's where we can kind of get them, um, get some yards on them where they're a little soft there in the middle uh, in coverage. So, you know, look for that to happen. Hopefully, we can get him going. What do you think, buddy?
1: No, no, I'm with you on that. I think Big Stone Gap is going to be one of the keys, not only because of the way you talk about the way they like to bring pressure, um, and obviously that's going to leave the middle of the field open for some quick seam routes, some hopefully little crossers, some little, you know, some quick digs to the middle. Um, but the other piece is Brian, as you were mentioning that on defense, is do they have anybody that c- can cover him? Is there anybody that popped out of your mind that said, hey, man, th- this guy could keep big stone gap to a reasonable game?
0: Um, they had a couple linebackers that I think can maybe cover him in the short short passing game, but I just think his athleticism as the game wears on is going to take over. Um, I don't think any, any guys can run with him and then just, you know, the big body that he has I think eventually is going to wear them down over the course of a game. So – you know, I, I, w- I wouldn't say that they're necessarily susceptible, but I, I think that if he has kind of a good one – of, one of his better games, that they can definitely take advantage of, the, of what they do on defense.
1: Got it. All right, well, let's turn it over to the defense now, Pivotal Players. And holding down the top spot for the second week in a row, the heavenly devil himself, Divine
0: Diablo. Yeah, he did not get to suit up last week, so he's back here again. And he's back here again because – of what we saw last week, and because of how much they like to throw the ball down the field, um, so that that's kind of the one-two punch, man. Um, Diablo cleaned up so much, especially in, um, you know, that game against NC State, did such a good job of cleaning up some of those uh those run plays. Yeah, he's definitely gonna be. it be nice to have him back, and, and in the the coverage aspect, I mean, with some of the way they drive the ball down the field with the football in the passing game. Yep. Having a guy that's that experienced, that talented, that's what you want. Because he is the guy, he's the quarterback of that secondary, and that's who you want in the game against a team that's going to throw it down the field like this. Absolutely,
1: man. There's there's no doubt about it. We saw how much he was missing last week. Um, we saw amongst some stats that I cannot remember who put up if you – put them up, please tag yourself and put it on the boundary corner. We released this on Friday, but we were 12% missed tackles game one. The last two games where he was absent, 22%, 24%. And I think that's big. I think it's big for the linebackers knowing that he's back there. I think putting people in the right situations. So without a doubt, Divine Diablo holding down number one. Brian, who's at number two?
0: It's going to be Chamari Connor, and that's going to be because we're going to need him, his physicality at the line of scrimmage, but we're also going to need him covering Hunter Long. Um, and he's going to need to show better skills at that than what he showed against Daz Newsome. And I think he will just because, number one, Hunter Long, for all the gifts and talents he has, is not quick and elusive like Daz Newsom. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Um, and number two, because he is a tight end, Connor will be able to actually use his physicality a lot more than he was against Newsom. Who, where if he does get away from Connor, he can run away from Connor. That's not going to be the case with Hunter Long. Hunter Long is is definitely a guy that can can make plays down the field, but he's not, you know, a, a four four guy that's going to just run away from Connor like uh, like that Newsom. Yeah, Connor
1: or whoever whoever's going to rotate to that you know, covering long, but I think it's gonna be Chamari most of the day. Um and as Daz wasn't a good matchup, this is a good matchup. Again, we've mentioned numerous times before, if Chamari makes it in the league, he is going to be a strong safety. And many times a strong safety, the prototypical what you're supposed to cover is you're gonna cover the tight end, or if there is a bigger running back, that's your responsibility. So to me it's a good matchup. We need him to play Within himself, though, because last week, you know, with the ejection, what I'm hoping is he—he's one of those players that puts that immediately out of his mind. Um, don't 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 play timid, play within yourself. This is a guy that's not going to run away from you. He's bigger than you, yeah, but you've got the skill set to contain him most of the day. Yeah. All right, Brian. And,
0: And I'd like to see him, you know, be be a little aggressive with the way he approaches the coverage because. Uh, you know, unlike Daz, he can make up some ground if he, if he, you know, guesses wrong. Yeah. So play aggressive, not too aggressive, but, you know, don't, don't go out there trying not to fail because we, we don't want that either. No, not at all. Not at all.
1: All right, Bron. So this is going to be an easy one. Bron, for the team that literally is the third worst team at giving up quarterback sacks, who's your
0: number three? Defensive ends, buddy. <laughs> I'm sure. uh, I would say, particularly Justice Reed, but I can see Belmar and a couple other guys getting in there as well. Um, Djokovic's going to hold on to the football. He's going to stay behind the line of scrimmage and try to keep looking downfield to throw the ball. We are going to have opportunities to put him on the ground. We potentially have opportunities to get the ball out of his hands. Yep. We got to take advantage of that.
1: Yeah. And, and you just mentioned that him holding on to the ball getting him down, when we get there for Belmar, for Barno, for Reed, um,
0: it's going to be, you get there, get him down. down, And don't lose your leverage because he's just athletic enough to make you miss, make you look foolish and still get the ball off. So play with the right leverage. When you get there, wrap him up, get him to the turf. Um, let me ask this because you've
1: been you mentioned it earlier. Um, you said they mentioned a lot of ace sets. Is this a lot of ace, um, One tight end, two tight end sets. Uh, t- twelve personnel, so two
0: tight ends, usually two tight, tight in. end and H back.
1: Okay. You might have mentioned twelve personnel earlier. I just I might not have caught it. It might have went through my ears. So so um, clearly Long's not going to be involved in that. So in my opinion, that somewhat helps us out determining wherever they're lining him up is probably not going to be where they're blocking where their help tight end is. So I think that gives us a schematic advantage to know where you're going to put him. Because as soon as you say, if Long's on the right and then they shift the guy to the right side of the line because Reed is over there. Well, that's fine because you're, you're, you're telling us everything where you're worried about.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they run, um, to the strength when they usually have an H-back when they put both on the line of scrimmage. Um, that's when they kind of, it's hard to determine which direction they're running, but they usually run to the strength um, when they have the, uh, the, the 12 personnel with the H-back. Um, like I said, they usually bring that H-back back across the formation to seal the backside. Um, when they're two men on the two tight ends on the line of scrimmage, they usually just are running straight zone across the board.
1: All right. All right, Brian. Well time for the moment of truth today. Predictions for Saturday night in Lane Stadium. Do I get to
0: lead this week? You lead. All right. Let's see what we got here. Give me a give me thirty eight twenty one. All right. Okay.
1: 38, I, think
0: we, I think we score the football against these guys. I don't think they can stop our running game. And I think Hooker's going to make as many or more plays as any other quarterback has made against them, and they haven't seen a running game like this. So I think we score. I think we score more than Pitt. I think we score more than UNC. I think we put up 38 points.
1: Nice, man. I, I'm not I'm not that far from you either. Um, I'm Virginia Tech 41, BC 21. A lot of the same reasons. Um, looking at their dreadful red zone numbers. I think we will get down there and score more times than not into the end zone. Um, and I'm only putting them at 21 because I think to your point, too, about the running game, I think we're going to come out mad on both sides of the ball. And I think the way I feel is we're going to probably hit them similar to the way we hit NC State. And they probably could get to 27, maybe even 30. But I think they're going to be at a point in the second half where they're going to have to go for it numerous times instead of taking three points. They're going to be down so much. It's like we've got to go. We can't sit here and, you know, and and try to chip away because when they get the ball, they're probably going to go score again. And if, if we don't try to catch up, it's not going to be a good thing.
0: All right, so we got the prediction, buddy. Uh, what, what was the uh, the uniform reveal this week? Uniform reveal, very traditional. Well,
1: seemingly traditional, right? Uniform this week, we are going with the white maroon white unis. I love the look. Okay. The helmet looks very crisp. It looks like fall. Um, you know, it's not orange. so Hey! It, it, we can't. Those who are blaming that the orange pants and orange uniforms are the reason we lost last week, well, we can't go that this week. So, yeah. Now, Brian, one of your favorite guys
0: got 25 this week. Yes, he did. Amari Barno, 25. And I will say this. He earned it. He he had a pretty darn good game against UNC, Um, all things considered, especially um, the way he played in the second half, got a sack in the second half. Um, did a good job. Looks like he's coming around a little bit in terms of not just being a guy that needs to have that that one read where he's you know, going after the quarterback. He's starting to play a little more balance, which is nice to see now that he's got some reps. So good for him. Look forward to see 25 making a few sacks this Saturday.
1: 25 on the line of scrimmage. Always a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right. Well, Brian, let's turn it over. Our ACC and college football picks this week. Last week, man, both of us had good weeks. Hey! You hit five and three. I went six and two. Um, Get back in the winning way. So, again, folks, if you're playing what we're telling you, you might be making yourself some money. And now we're getting to the point, Ryan, because we've been playing so good, me and you might be looking at opening up an account together. <laughs> hey if you're listening, contact us via Twitter. We will be more than glad to sponsor. We would like a uh, a nice little bankroll to start out on. <laughs> we'll sponsor you every week.
0: That's right,
1: right. That's right. Hey, I wouldn't be against it. I know you wouldn't. All right. That's what's up. Let's kick it off, Brian. Um, I will lead.
0: I already go for it, buddy.
1: Georgia Tech, Clemson, high noon game. Uh, Clemson laying 27. Last week, took Clemson to cover, and he covered. This week, I'm going to take them to cover again because (laughs) I just can't see. I can't see Georgia Tech even without – even with Clemson potentially turning off the gas, getting within four scores of them, I mean, I'm, I'm, my, my mind says somewhere in the neighborhood of like 42-14, or excuse me, 49-14. Um, what are you feeling on this one, Brian?
0: I'm right there with you, actually. Um, I think this is gonna Clemson's gonna get in the 50s, and I don't see Georgia Tech getting out getting to the 20s. So, give me Georgia. I mean, give me Clemson in the points there.
1: Yeah, after Miami burned you last week with the Clemson game, you you come back yep. to the uh, to the to the Death Star here. All right. <laughs> Let's go down to uh, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Pit Miami, Miami laying 14 points against Pitt, coming off the uh, the beatdown in Death Valley. What do you got on this one, Brian?
0: Man. <sighs> This one's tough, buddy. This one's tough because after what I saw happen between Miami and Clemson, I don't know what to think of Miami anymore. Are they just a more efficient version of the same team we saw last year? Or are they what some folks were thinking they were going into uh, Clemson? I'm, I'm leaning probably a little closer to the former. Um, okay. I, th- I think King is good, but until King can make Significant completions to wide receivers down the field. I think they're going to struggle against teams that are good up front. And Pitt is nothing if not good up front. So I'll take – give me Pitt in the 14 points.
1: I'm, I'm right with you. I, as much as we bagged on Kenny Pickett
0: and stuff the last few weeks. They, they, they still did not break 30 in regulation. They and, did so my, my point still stands. If you can get to 30, you can probably beat Pitt. <laughs> it's true. And, and, and I
1: think Miami will get to 30. Um, but I, I can see Pitt hanging in there, making it a game. Um, I'm with you. I think 14 is too much delay. Um, Miami coming out, probably got a little scar tissue out of last week. Um, they can be an effective team. But you, you kind of saw the uh, what Clemson did. Against that offense up front, that offensive line is still bad. Pitt's still good up front. So give us 14, and we'll we'll roll with it. All right. We're going to go out of conference for the next one, Brian. And, Ah. yeah, well, not out of conference. Syracuse is still our (laughs) in-conference friend here. (laughs) Liberty. All right. You ready for the shocker of the week, Brian? What you got, man? Uh, Liberty is laying three points.
0: Liberty is a favorite.
1: Liberty is a road favorite. Now, everybody looks. Liberty's 4-0, right? That's good. That's really yeah. good, right? Fine. Do you know how many of the teams they beat, how many games they've won? What's the total, man? Uno. Uno. They're 1-9. They are literally playing the worst teams in Division One football And it's not like, you know, everybody looks last week's UL Monroe game. Oh, they blew their doors off. The other three games weren't that way. The other three games were super tight. So I'm sitting here looking at Syracuse, who competed with UNC, beat Georgia Tech, competitive with Duke. I'm trying to figure out what Vegas sees in this. And you know what? This is one of those, like, legal limit bets. Give me Syracuse. Give me the three points. Syracuse is going to win this game outright. And I think it's within 10. Somebody just hit a home run, didn't they? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, while Brian celebrates. Uh,
0: <laughs> Sorry. Thoughts. So, so, so you're going legal limit. You'll, you'll legal Syracuse.
1: limit, Syracuse,
0: give me three. Syracuse. I mean, honestly, you're, you're pretty much picking someone to win outright, and I think Syracuse wins outright. So give me Syracuse in the three. Uh man. We're, oh. I, I know we're lining right up here, and this is, you know, no drama to, to our listeners here, but screw it. We well, gotta go with what we know. It's not <laughs> drama. It's like looking at factual data. Liberty four and know, zero. Liberty's playing
1: shitty teams, having struggles with some of them. Ain't like they're four and zero, winning by fifty each game. So. Go
0: Don't here. worry, guys. Just drama here in a little
1: bit. Yeah, we're going to get some drama. Don't worry about that. I mean, yeah. Plus, it might be one of those things. If we've agreed enough by the last few picks, we just me and you might look at each other like, "Screw you." Even though I like the other team, I'm going I the other I did that week. with Hunter the other week, and it turned out good for me. <laughs> you were thinking Tennessee like I was, and you flipped and it. You paid off. All right, Brian. Let's go up to Notre Dame Stadium. The Irish versus the Cardinals. Notre Dame laying 17 points to Louisville. What do you think here?
0: Man, this this was the one that I've been scratching my head on the most. Because Notre Dame is obviously a better team at this point, but I just don't think that they're going to score enough to cover 17. So I'm going to take Louisville in the 17. Jesus Christ. I thought this
1: would be the one that um – um. We would disagree on, but no, it's not. And I'm, this is what I'm not going to look on because Notre Dame's a better team. Notre Dame's going to win this game. They're probably going to get to the high 30s, but I think Louisville still has got a good enough offense to get to the mid 20s, maybe even low 30s. So 17's way too much. We saw last week Notre Dame laying 21 against Florida State. They jumped on them early, but then they kind of turned the gas off. I don't see that this week. I see more Notre Dame getting a little bit ahead and just keeping Louisville at Arms Bay, but not by 17 points. So we're agreeing on everything so far.
0: <laughs> All right. Zero drama, guys.
1: Zero. Well, also zero drama because your Braves just jacked another home run, dead center field. It's 8 2 in the bottom of the seventh. So. Shot, you, man. You're. Oh, Crushed that ball. That was that was wild. All right. So Duke versus NC State. NC State's four-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, both coming off wins. Duke their first one of the season versus Syracuse. NC State, um, you know, with a 17-point win up the road here in Charlottesville. Um, but I, I feel like this is a toughie because, um, you know, what we've seen with Duke, when they don't turn the ball over against, you know, upper echelon Notre Dame, 14 point game versus us, a 10 point game. It was 10 points. The the field goal does not count unless you, which, you know, ask Scott Van Pelt about that. That's one of those gut shots that they took the other Saturday. But I'm sitting here and saying, is Duke going to continue this path of not turning the ball over a ton Um, in NC State? (laughs) Is NC State – Brian clearly did something on the other screen. Is (laughs) NC State going to keep their role going from Pitt? Um, I think NC State does. Um, I think NC State wins this game by a touchdown. I think it's going to be a pretty good fought game. Um, But give me NC State. I'll lay the four and a half.
0: Dude, right there with you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We saw, I mean, both both of these teams struggle to stop the run sometimes, and I think NC State's going to run on Duke a lot better than um, Duke runs against NC State. I think that Leary is a little more efficient with the football than Chase Bryce is. So, let me let me take NC State. I think they'll cover that four and a half. <laughs> okay. I mean,
1: me and you again are on the same page. I think what's happening now, Brian, is we're seeing more and more of the teams. We're getting a better feel of who they are. Now, by all means, if NC State turns the ball over three times, they could lose this game. They're going to have to play clean. Um, yep. But... They're they're playing they're they're on a roll right now. Yeah, All y'all right. can
0: bet on anything I say unless it's Georgia Tech because I've still got zero fuel for their games. So.
1: <laughs> you put know Clemson and Georgia Tech, everybody. Just uh, if there's one game you don't want to bet, just just <laughs> don't lay the points with Clemson. But with Clemson, we don't know because they could get up 28 nothing, just turn the Jets off and be like, we're gonna win this game 28-14. We're
0: not scoring another point. Be <laughs> like, damn yeah. you. All right. They know that they can stop Georgia Tech anytime they want to, so they don't have to sling it to run ETN. I mean, they can just do what they want to do at that point.
1: Really, they're gonna they're gonna do whatever they want to do as we go back and revisit the first pick. All right, Brian. <laughs> Wake Forest, UVA, UVA, the road favorite at two and a half. So one of those basically pick'em games. Although you do know two and a half can bite you when somebody wins by a point, and you're like. I was on the wrong side of that line. So Brian, UVA Wake, who you got?
0: (sighs) What's the status of Ginger Tebow? Ginger Tebow? Let's see here. He was concussed last week.
1: I'm trying to get it up here. Give me one moment. What day was this on? Now that was the 12th real live radio. Podcasting here. Um, <laughs> me, Efforting. 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 I'm trying to get to. Did a search here. Let me jump on the Twitter sphere and see if anyone has anything on Brendan Armstrong. You feel like that line though. You feel like if he was if, starting. If, if, to, if
0: Armstrong is playing, I think they cut which, I mean, is essentially me saying I think UVA wins the football game and maybe a little more than that. Um, Basically, this was a decision day for Brennan Armstrong. So are you taking them regardless? I think I'm taking them regardless. I'm definitely taking them if Armstrong's playing. But let's go ahead and just say I'm taking them regardless since we don't know. All right. Well, since we don't know, And UVA does
1: the asinine thing of giving quarterback numbers 36, 99, 98, and 60. Give
0: me one. Come on. It's a tradition. You pick your number.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, if I was a quarterback and I log in, and I don't care if I'm the 3 deep guy, I'd like to get a number. 17, coach. 17's not taken. Cool. 16, not taken. What is it, bleeping, taken? Uh, there's some in the 30s over here. What? I would just be like, Coach, I'm good. I'm just going to go get
0: in the portal. Man, if I'm a freshman lineman coming in and I don't ha- I don't get my number because a fucking quarterback has it, you know how pissed I am? There's <laughs> <laughs> for portal same day. <laughs> like, I- I'm going. Why did not you get it because some fucker had 60 and I couldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> What's Who was on? it? Who was it, D lineman, offensive alone? No, a quarterback. Oh, I get it now. I know why you're transferring.
1: You're an idiot. You're an idiot for doing that. So what number do you get? You're going to be 86 as an interior offensive lineman. And you're like, what the fudge? All right. So. Tackle
0: eligible.
1: Tackle eligible. (laughs) Tackle eligible. All right. So our first variance of the day, Brian going with UVA, laying the two and a half. Gimme weight with the two and a half. Um, You know, I think it's just a lot of hate there. Just want to see them lose.
0: All right. I want to see them lose too, but I'm trying to keep my numbers up. <laughs> well, maybe the next one. FSU-UNC,
1: Brian. UNC laying 13 points. I'm going to kick off with this one. Yep. Last week, FSU played a very good game against against Notre Dame, and they lost. They covered. They played respectable. You know, It wasn't like the dumpster fire that looked like against Jacksonville State or against Miami. UNC just, you know, what what happened with them versus us? We saw it. They ran the ball down our throats. Um, they held back our comebacks a couple times. But I'm sitting here, and I'm wondering who gets back to a normal level quicker. And the way I see is I think where UNC played last week is closer to their normal than what Florida State did. So I think Florida State comes tumbling down this week. I think UNC wins this game essentially. Sam Howell rubs it in the face of the team he originally committed to. Give me UNC. I'm laying a 13. Um, I- I'm feeling UNC somewhere in the neighborhood of you know 38-20. So probably a competitive game till the end when essentially the badness of the Florida State defense starts showing through. <sighs>
0: I'm right there with you, and I think it's going to be kind of one of those late covers. Um, <clears throat> I think UNC is going to play not quite as good in the running game as they did against us. Number one, because FSU, for all their faults on defense, yeah. has damn talented interior defensive lineman, um that will help everything they have going on. And they're more or less going to be having their starting defense, we think. So... I think those two factors keep it closer than it, it should be. But I think UNC either touchdown late to make it 14 or a field goal late to maybe push it to 17. I don't think that it's going to be much more than a 17-point win for UNC. Okay. Uh, but I think, they, uh, I think they definitely cover the 13. Covering the 13. Awesome. All
1: right. Well, the last game we're going to pick this week is the big one that essentially Saturday night – You'll probably have it on your phone or your iPad, and I'll have it on one of the uh, top two TVs here in the house. Um, Alabama, Georgia, in Tuscaloosa, without Nick Saban. Um, as I'm sure everybody that listens to this podcast knows, Saban tested positive for the coronavirus, um, so he is a he officially out. But now, and as we were sitting here, Brian, and you were going through your um, your UVA pick, I saw something that scrolled up on the screen, and I want to check this out. They are potentially saying this might be a false negative test for Nick Saban. I don't know if he's a false that. positive. Yeah, false positive, excuse me. False positive.
0: So he might be on the sideline?
1: He might be on the sideline, and I'm trying to pull well, it maybe up. Maybe at least
0: in the booth just as a precaution or something?
1: Potentially, potentially. Let me look it up here. I mean, it literally scrolled on the bottom line. Um, about five minutes ago, so I want to see what they said here. So, Brian, while I'm trying to look that up, let me pitch it to you. Bama land four and a half against Georgia right now, to our knowledge, no saving on the sideline. If I find something while you're doing this, I will inform you.
0: Um, I think that line would be six and a half if, if saving was definitely coaching. Okay. Um, I'm going to take – I'm still going to take Bama. What do I think? I think whether, whether Saban's there or not, I'm taking Bama. Um, I still don't trust their defense at all yet, which is something weird to say about a Nick Saban coach team. Okay. But I think they're going to score enough points, and I think Ugga's going to give out a gas.
1: Oh, that's a toughie trying to look everywhere. I wish you would scroll down again. I would see who's reporting that. Um Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm on that. I, I don't think Stetson Bennett the fourth and the Georgia offense is gonna have the gas or the the dynamic play calling to keep up with Alabama like Ole Miss did. You know that that's one thing if Lane Kiffin ever got his act together and stayed somewhat on the straight and narrow, Ole Miss will be under probation in at least three years. Trust me. (laughs) Trust me on that. But they don't. And, you know, they have Todd Munkin come in, who was at Oklahoma State with Gundy and then went to the NFL. So it's getting better. But what you're saying is Georgia's going to hold Alabama down. and. I, I, I'm with you. I don't think they can do that. I think Bam will get a couple in the first half. They might get one in the third quarter. But in the fourth quarter, eventually what's going to happen is, it's what you said, they're going to give out a gas. And I, I feel like this is like a 35-21 game, where it's going to be probably a super fun game to watch um, as fans, which we won't be doing. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, that that is what it is. That's why, you know, you know, minimum three TVs when you get your man cave, folks. Minimum. That's what's happening. By the way, rant time. I'm taking it down. Play the four and a half. Get a man cave. If you don't have multiple TVs, it's worthless. You could have a pool table, a dartboard, a super great bar. If you have one TV, I sit here and say, what game are we watching? Oh, we watch the Braves cool, I got money on the uh, college football game right now. I need to watch that Well, I got one TV. Then your man cave has failed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if I have to follow a game I have money on on my cellular device, then that's probably a problem. So you got to up the man cave game.
1: Three TVs minimum. And if you're spending that sort of money – you can have a nice big projector. You put two behind the bar because for your degenerate friends who come over,
0: <laughs> who are betting the Sun Belt. Uh, yeah. They players, don't need to be watching that the whole time, but they need to be, be able to peek over at strategic points in the game.
1: Like, oh, what the three TV setup is you get the peek. You got your main yeah. on, but you get the peek. And, you know, like watching the NC State game when we got big on, oh, I was watching the top two just as much. So, yeah. All right. So, Sieg. Late kick this weekend. I bet you smoking something
0: good. We going brisket? Mmm. Brisket? Yes, sir. Going brisket this weekend, buddy. It's going to probably be a long smoke, but it should be a good one. And then we feast. Then you feast. Then you feast. You know, I love
1: having the 8 o'clock games, and I know some people growl about it and stuff, but having the 8 o'clock games, it's, it's really nice if you're staying at home. <laughs> you know, this is a normal season, you know, with the ACC network going to Blacksburg. I'm sure there are people like, uh, yeah, it's cool. Love having night games in Lane. It's awesome. I can get home at four o'clock in the morning, though, and it kind of sucks. And it's <laughs> like, well, if you're going to go for the eight o'clock game, you need to get a hotel somewhere Blacksburg, Roanoke, Salem, Radford, and just stay, you know, because you know to drive back unless you have someone who is just willing to drive back it's it's just not fun now me and you last year obviously
0: 330 kicks are the perfect kick for a full day trip yep right if we you know, if you got to if you've got to travel from anything more than 2 hours to blacksburg 3:30 is the perfect kick because you can still travel in the morning and tailgate, and you can still drive back the same day and not get back, you know, too late where you can still get a little decent shut eye that night. Yep, we got back at midnight. We got back
1: at midnight. We left what 7:15. We rolled into Blacksburg. We hit Sharkies. We hit Tots. We hit the tailgate scene. We even went in the stadium early. So, again. Eight o'clock kicks. My advice, still leave at seven o'clock in the morning. Just get a hotel room somewhere between in the greater New River Valley. Yep. All right, Brian. Anything else we have missed? With the exception of Arkansas State and Georgia State, are now at a hundred and one points. So <laughs> the over in that game. which I just want to see what they it got was. Punched early. They
0: got punched early and often.
1: The over-under in that game, original line was
0: 73. <laughs> you guys so, smoked. you so got smoked. So, at right halftime, by
1: right the end of the third quarter, that was crushed. Again, it's a fun belt game. Who's doing that? All right. Since we got right. nothing else, Brian Bravo's lead 8-2 to two in the eighth Three inning. Three outs away. Three outs away from going up 3-1. We are going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe for us on your favorite source podcasts, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. We do ask you guys, please rate and review. What are we doing good? What do you want to see more of? What do you want us to cut out? As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Apple Music and Spotify. And as always, let's go. Okie's.